Welcome to the Seek Go Create podcast. My name is Tim Winders, and I'm a coach for business owners, executives, and leaders, and author and the host of this podcast. My wife and I consider ourselves nomads, and we currently travel, live, and work in our 39-foot RV, which I am broadcasting from right now. I want to thank all of you for downloading, listening, plus I want to continue to thank those that are commenting, sharing, and rating. Got some great comments just yesterday, and we appreciate those greatly. Today, we have Joe Sanak as our guest. Joe is a counselor, consultant, and a speaker. This, he's, like, he's got so much going on. I want you all to listen to this bio. He helps high achievers who want an amazing lifestyle to start, grow, and scale private practices and podcasts. He also helps private practitioners find innovative ways to start, grow, and scale their private practice. And he's also a TEDx speaker, writer, has the number one podcast for private practices, which I listened to one of those this morning. And he's been featured on Forbes, Huffington Post, and Entrepreneurs on Fire. And he, he has so many things going on. Joe, welcome to the Seek Go Create podcast. Uh, Tim, thanks so much for having me. And we're glad you're here. You know, one of the things I like to do, just it, it maybe it's just my coach in me or my trying to be focused and I, I love giving the bios and I actually had a lot more that I could have read on you. You've got so many, so many accolades and so many things that you've done, but why don't you in your own words, just like we're on an elevator, you've got 20 seconds. Tell me what you do. Yeah, I help people to work less and make more and find the meaning in their work. Uh, I've been able to transition from a very traditional counseling job into this wacky online world. And I love helping people find those things that just light them up on the inside. Wow. And, and my guess is, is that you love doing that, right? Absolutely. I mean, uh, one of the big things we talk about, uh, I have a conference called Slow Down School and a, another one called Killing It Camp, is finding that pacing uh, between slowing down and, and speeding up and just how you can optimize your brain in such a pronounced way when you slow down. And that, that's something that I think is often missing out in the world where we see these business books, you know, we see people like Gary Vee that, you know, hustle, go after it. And that's needed. Some people need that kick in the pants. Um, or on the other side, you see these books that are, you know, woo woo, throw it up to the universe. It's all going to happen without having to work at all. Um, but I think we've found kind of that sweet spot in the middle where we can slow down and speed up. Um, and it's just so exciting because I get to live the life that I'm teaching people um, to, to work towards. So that, that brings up a question that I actually didn't have written down. I, I, I like to tell guests, I usually spend about 60 to 90 minutes doing research on each guest. So I check people out. I'll listen to their podcasts, go watch videos and things like that. But there was a question that I didn't write down that I want to ask you. And that is, tell me a bit about your family or home life because you just mentioned slow down and pacing and many times I find in in the area of work that I do that that has an impact on people's mindset about that so tell us a little bit of tell us about Joe's family yeah so my wife Christina and I I have been married 15 years it'll be 16 in August and um, we were friends in high school we snowboarded together went off to college and then reconnected after college and um, have been able to really kind of build the life together and grow together and challenge each other. We have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old, two girls, and Lucia and Lakin are bold, strong, independent little women that um, like to push the boundaries, and we like to figure out how we're supposed to handle that. <laughs> so, uh, no, I mean, I would much rather have a girl that is going to, like, stand up for herself than be someone that's steamrolled. Uh, and, and so uh, that's just kind of the quick family life. I think that why this matters to me is several years ago, I was working full time at a community college. I had just left a job as a foster care supervisor. I had started a counseling practice on the side, really just to pay off student loan debt, you know, make an extra mm -hmm. thousand here, redo a closet, make an extra thousand here, get a new mattress. And just kind of as a side gig, um, started just podcasting about what I was learning as a new business person, having never done anything business uh, and found that the the more that I did that work, the less I wanted to be at the community college. Mm. And there was this moment when I, I had run over um, during my lunch hour to do a counseling session. And I left my corner office view of the water um, side gig, quote side gig, and went back to my community college full-time job, basement office with no windows. And it was just so pronounced in my mind that this is not the long-term life that I need to live. And you know, that, that speeding up, that hustle time oftentimes is a chapter. The idea that you're just going to be able to have a three-day work week like I do, it took a lot of work to get there. 
But I noticed this one summer, I said to my wife, you know, I want to do an experiment. Uh, what if I took Fridays off this summer just to see what happens? Uh, like, let's just have a fun summer with the girls and I'll have three day weekends all summer long. So after Memorial Day, I kept the three day weekends going. And at the end of the summer, the finances were the same. And so kept that going. And then the next summer did another experiment with Mondays. And so for me, it's less about, oh, I just want to you know, make a bunch of money or I want to have a bunch of time to sit around. But it's more I now get to invest in my kids differently than if I was getting home at six o'clock every night. If I had to be leaving the, the house at seven, and never get to drop them off at school back when we could drop kids off at school. <laughs> We're in the midst of the coronavirus right now. And, and so that depth of, of family and friends and having the energy to do the things that I feel like I'm really called to do in the world is just so important uh, in regards to that kind of slowing down piece. Well, you are a great fit for my wife and I, my wife, Glory, and you, and it was Christina, right? That we, yeah. we would have a great time together because our children are grown now. They're 29, 26. Boy, I hope I got that right. Well, I'll, I'll find out if I got it wrong, I'm sure, soon enough. Uh, <laughs> well, we're live right now. They can tell you I, live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, can't, I can't really remember my own birthday, so birthdays and things like that. But it's really interesting that back when our children were younger, in fact, close to the same age as yours, we decided to start homeschooling. And and primarily it was because we didn't really like the grind. We were entrepreneurs, business people doing our own thing and wanted to travel. And, and we didn't like the grind of getting up at 6 a.m., getting in the school, and then they did school, and then they came home. They had all this homework. And you know it was interesting for us because my parents were professional educators, and when we did that, they were somewhat not critical but just didn't understand as much so what you're really talking about is living a lifestyle that's different from the norm is that correct absolutely i think you know for and that's awesome that you did that i think more people are now thinking about that lifestyle design than ever before and especially in the midst, you know, when this goes live, hopefully coronavirus is starting to you know, slow down a little bit. We don't have any clue at this point. But, um, you know, I think a lot of people are understanding of how many social obligations we have, how many kid obligations we have, and how freeing this lockdown has been for a lot of people. Now, there's some real problems. There's some real psychological issues and anxiety and all of that. But to even just be able to say to my family, you know, what if we, you know, each said today, what's the one thing we'd love to do? So my eight-year-old might say, let's play Mario Kart. And I say, let's meditate. And my wife says, let's go for a hike. And our youngest says, I want everyone to color with me. How awesome is that for a family to say, each one of us gets our, our 10 out of 10 today. And we can connect in a new and different way. And our kids are still learning. And you're not rushing all over the place trying to get to karate, ballet, gymnastics. That was our family. You know, because you feel as if if you don't get your children in all of those things, they're going to fail and not succeed in life. And it's just, I mean, it's a pacing and, you know, I, I want to go back to this because I, I do think it's appropriate for the times that we're in and, and, you know, we're going to probably violate some podcasting 101 guidelines here. Yeah. You've got your coffee with you there too. And I do too. So congratulations. <laughs> we could have coffee together this morning. And, and, but one of the things I want to do is I want to talk about how in the times that we're in much of the extracurricular distractions have been stripped away. And so, but before I do, there was an important question that I've got here. Are you a Michigan guy? Are you born and raised up in that area? Yeah, you know, um, I was raised, uh, my dad was going actually to school at Utah State University when I was born. Mm. And, and so um, they went out there for a few years for that, for him to get his doctorate in psychology. Um, but Michigan family, my, um, my Polish side of the family came over and immigrated to Michigan. So yes, yeah, so Mich I would say I'm a Michigander through and through. All right. Yeah. And I think, I think it said, are you up in Traverse City? Is that correct? Yeah, it's this beautiful beach town in, in kind of the northwest side. And I mean, two blocks one way, I have, you know, one side of Lake Michigan and two blocks the other, the other bay, East Bay and West Bay. And so, yeah, I love Michigan. All right. So here's a here's a little bit of a sidebar question before we get into some serious conversing. Being from Michigan, I have to ask, Kid Rock, Eminem or Bob Seger? And it's going to be hard to say none of the above, right? 
Well, I would say none of the above to Kid Rock. I'm sorry if I'm offending your audience. I'm just not a huge fan of Kid Rock. Um, but yeah, I, I do like Eminem for some of his songs. Uh, some of his songs are so kind of violent and um, just misogynistic. That I, but I mean, to jam out to a good Eminem song, you know, some of the classics are good. But I think, and Bob Seger just is such like a heart of Michigan. Um, if I had to pick between them, if I was going to a concert, it would probably be Eminem. Um, but Honestly, the local musician scene in Michigan is amazing. So it'd probably be one of those Michigan uh, musicians that no one even knows. Well, that's that's fair, yeah. and there is no there is no right or wrong answer. But when I'm when I was kind of just quietly writing some questions down, I go, "Ooh, Michigan, let's see let's see who this guy would pull for." So, all right, well, I, I want to circle back to what we were discussing, and one of the questions that I had that kind of sets the foundation. For, for much of what it seems like you do is there's there's a word that you use called high achiever. And what I would love for you to do for myself and the audience is define that. And then we're going to we're going to circle back to that lifestyle, because I, I, I think that many times how we define those things, success, high achievement, will then ripple through all areas of our life. And if I'm wrong, I'll let you correct me on that. But define what high achiever is in your in your eyes. Yeah, and I'm going to steal kind of some some words from the Enneagram. Uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the Enneagram, but the Enneagram um, talks about different personality types. And so when we think about a high achiever, you know, with the what the Enneagram talks about is people in health and people you know that are not in health. And so I think there are high achievers in health, and there are high achievers that are not in health. And so let's just kind of parse that out a little bit. So it's just a high achiever. I think at at their core is someone that wants to do the most with the skill set they have. And so if you are a great mathematician, you want to go after big things. Now, when it's in health, it usually is maybe for some of your own ego, but it's usually has also, I want to help the world. I want to just see my own human potential. I want to do it in a way that is beneficial to society. When it's not in health, uh, oftentimes what that looks like is I'm doing it for all these external reasons. I want to make a whole bunch of money. I want to feel powerful. I want to, you know, Make, take people down. I want to, you know, win back the girl because in middle school I was dumped by the school bully or the school bully, you know, got my girlfriend or something. You know, and so we want to think about high achiever. Oftentimes um, it can be in health or not in health. And so finding, okay, at my core, I'm a ch an achiever. Now, how do I do that in a healthy way? To me, that that's my jam all day long. Well, so, so then here, I, so, you know, I'm a coach and I've been in, in the coaching world for business and I, I guess some personal development and leadership, but I, I've gravitated toward business and also people in ministry. And one of the things that we do in our society is we attempt to pigeonhole people with titles and with groupings. And, you know, we, we I'll use one that's pretty harsh, winners or losers or successful or not successful or wealthy or not wealthy. And we can get into all type of, you know, racial and, and things, things of that nature. And so I've always wondered when we start using terms like high achiever, do we attract or do we alienate? And is it that simple when we use those words? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's very intentional that I choose to use the words high achiever um, for a lot of the people that I work with. And part of it was noticing who was naturally attracted to me uh, and to my work. And it was people that they really wanted to go beyond the typical counseling practice. They wanted to achieve something bigger. Um, so first I was noticing my own audience, but I think there's also an aspirational quality to it. So someone who maybe doesn't feel like they're an A plus person, they haven't been that high achiever, but they feel like they have something inside of them. Maybe they're really creative or they feel like they stand out in a way that they haven't yet fostered. Uh, I think that when they see high achiever, they may also in an aspirational way say, you know, I want to at least learn from other high achievers. And then that creates a community that kind of is a self-perpetuating uh, modality where high achievers then are going to attract more high achievers. Um, but to me, it's, it's not just finding all these people that are making a bunch of money and doing big things. It's that they also want to figure out how do we do this so that I don't lose my family or my marriage or my, you know, I burn out early because of being a high achiever. Instead, I'm going to optimize my brains through some very clear kind of neuroscience to then do more for the world, but not at the expense of my family. Yeah, and that, that's good, Joe. And, and because of your background as a counselor, 
that kind of leads me to ask the next question is that we, we actually can see some people that would be considered high achievers in a, an area, a specific area. But then you and I have already spoken about, I don't even like the word balance. I think it's whole. It's being a whole person, you know, family, relationship, spiritual, you know, health, physical. And, and my guess is that some people can attempt to become high achiever in an area at the expense of other areas. Do you see that in, in what you do and the people you interact with? Oh yeah. I mean, you even look at some of the most famous achievers, you know, people that, you know, would take, you know, rather than sleep all night, they would take a nap every couple hours or the Elon Musks of the world that are working still 20 hour days oftentimes. And you can get a lot done if you work really hard. Uh, But I would argue uh, that there's a lot of life that you're then missing. And so uh, when you set some very clear boundaries or some very clear personal goals outside of your business, it then helps you get more out of life in a diverse way where you have diverse experiences. It's not just all about the bottom line. And, you know, for a lot of people, maybe they have a craft where they really get into it. Uh, You know, in Steve Jobs uh, biography, they talk about how his house for years didn't have any furniture in it because none of the furniture was perfect enough for his house. Like he had that attention to detail in regards to aesthetic and design. Um, Now that he made some great products, but I don't think I'd want to hang out with him. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that he'd be the kind of person that I'd want to invite into my house because he'd see all those flaws and stuff. So I don't think that's the kind of person we're trying to be. I, instead, we think about what we all pretty much intuitively know. And that's that, you know, when you have your best aha moments, I doubt that it's when you're stressed. You know, Tim, I imagine it's not when, you know, the RV is not backing up right and, you know, everyone's frustrated with each other and it's raining. And you just want to like get something to eat. That's probably not when you have an aha moment about coaching. It's probably when you're on a long hike, you know, it's when you're you know, in the shower, you're on a drive and you're not listening to a podcast. Your mind is just kind of just going all over the place. Uh, we know that we have what's called the default mode network of our brain where we have some very clear pathways that the brain has created. And for us to transcend those pathways, uh, we need that downtime to be able to think through things, to let parts of our brain talk that typically don't talk. Um, to kind of let that water flow throughout, um, to allow ourselves to understand things differently. Sure. What and and we're in a unique time here. We're recording this in early April of 2020, spring, and uh, and this will release an, a number of weeks after that on the podcast. But and we don't know what will happen. I mean, we're in a very an interesting situation. But let's say prior to the time that we're currently in, Joe, which is hard to imagine. I think you and I met about a month ago in a conference with 1,800 people in Orlando, and and no one's having conferences now. But prior to the time we're in, what are all of the external distractions, external forces that keep people from doing what you're talking about, living that you know, we hear the word intentional quite a bit, but living that life of, I, from a spiritual standpoint, I like to use the word at peace. You know, you're just at peace with who you are, what you are, what you're doing. But w- walk through all the distractions, and then that might lead into us discussing the time that we're currently in and what's going on now. Yeah, and I, I would even change maybe your question a little bit from just Good. distractions to also mindsets. Uh, and so I think a typical entrepreneur's mindset is, you know, I've spent all this time building this thing, whatever the thing is, the business. Uh, I did it through my own grit and hard work, and I went through the trenches. There's all these words we use about kind of warfare, and we got it done. And, uh, and then the mindset is, you know, no one can really do it like me. And no one can do that sales call like me. No one can reply to that email like me. And that's probably true, um, but I would add for a while or until trained. Um, so I have someone that does you know, almost all of my emailing now. Um, she responds on my behalf. She gets people scheduled. She puts it in my calendar. Wow. Then there's the final sign off that, that I do. You know, she stars probably 10 a day that I need to jump in there, even though we get over 200 emails. So it took training to get her to this point. And, you know, if there at the beginning was an email she should have responded to in my head, I just blind CC'd her. And then she created a whole library of responses. She just knew if she got a BCC that she probably in the future should respond to those type of emails. So yeah, she can't reply like me until I train her. And so I think there's a fear of that. I think there's also often a fear of boundaries because we enter into a business 
with often big ideas, with ways that we can change things, disrupt the market, whatever our kind of business is. Um, so there's always more to do. And so the ability to say this week is good enough, this day is good enough, the things outside of my business actually have as much value, if not more. If I don't actually believe that spending time with my kids and my wife is important, then I'm going to work on my business all night long. Whereas if I think that raising healthy kids and helping them have a father that's engaged and, you know, being a husband that's engaged that helps make dinner, if I see value in that, then I can say, okay, at 3.30, my day is over. And then I go and I play games with my kids and I help them feel engaged in the world and loved. So it really becomes a value thing in regards to setting those boundaries. Now, something that happens when you set boundaries around your time is that you will drop the ball. Uh, so if you say, I'm now going to work four days a week, and I used to work five, and instead of working till 6 p.m. every night and starting at 7 a.m., I'm going to start at 9 and be done by 4.30, you will drop the ball. But the refining process happens within that, which is the magic, because you will work on the very best use of your time during that time. You will leave those emails, and you know Friday's going to come along, you're going to say, holy cow, I haven't checked my email all week because I've been taking care of all the things that really are the essentials for my business. So then you wanna look at it and say, are these essentials fires that I need to put out now? And if so, you wanna put it out, but you've gotta look upstream and say, why do we keep having these fires? What's the process here? So one example of how I've done that is uh, we do done for you podcasting launches. So we have you know, 12 podcasts that we're launching in quarters one and two with, for people that are you know, good for the world people, they have great messages, but they don't wanna learn how to do WordPress or sound engineering. And so if, if something comes up where one of these individuals, say, doesn't have the information they need on how to sound good on their first recording, the sound engineer dropped the ball, say, and, and you know, they show up and the first recording is terrible. Of course, we're going to address that. But then we need to say, how do we make sure all of our talent has the, what they need ahead of time? So let's say a week before they jump onto their first podcast, let's have a sound engineering meeting. Let's have a checklist that they work through. Let's do an orientation meeting with our project managers so that everyone's on the same page. So over time, our business gets more and more refined as we work upstream with it as well. Yeah. And there, there's two words you use that I want to, and you kind of, we launched this podcast end of last year and, and we're in an RV. So all of that sound and all of that. And, and, and before we get off the podcast, I do want us to kind of go into all that you're doing for people that are podcasting. And also I, I do know that we have some listeners that are in private practice that actually can benefit from some of the things you can share. But for some reason, I can't get off this topic of the success, the trust, and maybe it's because of the times that we're in. And I, I think it might minister and bless people that are listening as much as anything we can do. But I, I'm going to kind of open myself up here to Counselor Joe. I, when, when I grew up in the 80s, went through school, came out of school, and I was pursuing the dollar bill. That was the value system. Now, I was uh, married, had children, but I was I was gonna make I was gonna make me some money, and and my thought was that that was success. That was how I was defining success at that time. And what you just said really kind of called me out in that I was under the impression that nobody can do it like Tim. You know, it's like, hey, if if it is to be, it's up to me. Hustle, 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 and we know all the mantras that that are out there today. So you mentioned two things that I'm going to ask you to speak just a little bit more about, which is value. What do you value? And then there's a word that jumped out at me, which is trust. You have to have a high degree of trust. Yeah, there's training, there's technique, high degree of trust to say, someone can answer all my emails for me. And like you said, that's mindset. So talk to us a little bit about value. I, I use the words, how do we define success? Because I, I think in our modern culture, there's difficulty with how we define success. There's celebrity culture and everything that causes it to be a little bit convoluted. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think when we start with value, <clears throat> let's just start with your own personal value and then work out from there. You know, if I'm, say, a coach that charges $100 an hour or $500 an hour, whatever your hourly ends up being, that means that every hour that you spend doing something you could outsource, if you have enough clients coming in, uh, you're losing that money. So if you could pay someone 15 bucks an hour to check your email, 
that means that you know if you had one hundred dollar client, you know, you could pay for what is that six or so hours of someone checking your email. Yeah. And, and so just valuing yourself first and saying I'm worth it to do more coaching or I'm worth it to market more. If I spend time you know, doing more Facebook lives, I know I'm going to get more people that come and apply to work with me. And so starting with yourself and saying, do I even believe I'm worth my hourly? Uh, I think that's an internal job a lot of people haven't done. Uh, they they often still feel like they're you know, they're a poser, you know, that, that they shouldn't be in this space. So, so doing that internal work of you, you belong here. I'm um, with the therapists I work with. I just start with some stats. 8% of the U S has a master's degree. So the day you graduate with a master's degree, uh, you're in the top 8% in a regular room of hundred people. And what are the odds that of those eight people, one of those MAs or MSs or doctors, you know, is going to also be a therapist. No, it's probably going to be an accountant, an attorney, a, you know, gynecologist, whatever. Um, you're going to, in most situations, be the smartest person in regards to mental health. Now, that's true with everyone else, too. Like, Tim, you have experiences, you know, that are way different than me. If you and I talked about blogging and how we approach blogging, or if we talked about podcasting, we are unique. So starting with your own value that you do have something to say. So then I would then move a little bit external of yourself into, okay, what do you value in your most immediate surroundings? So it could be my own personal time to make myself my best husband, my best father, my best self as I show up in the business and other world. It could be you know, external time with family and friends. Like we love playing board games. And so to set aside time with our neighbors, Paul and Diane, who we specifically moved to this neighborhood so we could hang out with more. Um, we did a Zoom call the other day and played Settlers of Catan over Zoom. And, you know, it's like they set up a board, we set up a board. It was super geeky and I don't even care uh, because it's something that I value. Now, if I didn't value that relationship and see that as something that feeds my life, I'm not going to make time for that. Instead, I'm going to check emails on a Friday night. So then we move outside of just our immediate values. Then what do we believe as a world? Do we believe the world needs fixing? Do we believe the idea that the rabbis taught that we want to leave the world better than we found it, that we found things broken that we want to repair? Do we believe those things? Or do we actually say, let's take as much from the world as we can and make sure we live a fun life? Like that, that really points to like, what do you believe? Um, and so being able to know your own value, your own kind of most immediate tribe, community, whatever words you want to use, and then the greater world's value is all reflected in the way you show up for work. Yeah, that's all right. So so now let's veer into, just so you know, the thing that was the catalyst for my change with the personality, the mindset, and, and all that I had was failure. It, it literally, we had multiple companies and I've shared this on our podcast for multiple companies that were seven figures in real estate. And in 08, all of that disintegrated over the course of time. And it really led to our lifestyle that we're leading now, which we fortunately, unfortunately feel as if we're really prepared for whatever's coming because we have little or no overhead. We're mobile. We live on wheels. Everything we own is here. We're minimalist, essentialist. And that is very different from the lifestyle we were leading in the 90s and the early 2000s. And do you think, uh, another sidebar question, do you think that people can make that change on their own or do they have to have an external catalyst like Tim had? You know, I mean, I, <clears throat> I would hope that people can learn from other people's experiences, but people make decisions usually less through analytics and more through feelings. Uh, you know, what, when they're signing up to work with you uh, as a coach, it's probably, I feel like Tim might help me. Maybe the numbers line up, but we all have this bounce between kind of the art and science. Uh, the best way we learn is either through our own experiences or other people's stories. Now, that's why storytelling is so powerful. People sat around the campfire and said, hey, there's a mountain lion, even probably you being in, you know, if you're in a national park, if someone says, there's a mountain lion that just ate a couple that looks like they're about your age. He seems to really enjoy like, you know, people your age, you're probably not going to go on that hike. Right. Um, and so, so we learn through other people's stories and that's going to be a catalyst for you to not go take that hike. Um, but unfortunately our own experiences oftentimes are, have to be the things that happen to be that catalyst for change. Sure. All right. So let's, let's, let's go where we currently are. We're, we're as, as of recording this, we, we talked about distractions and things that we value earlier. We currently have no sports, no live sports. 
We have no gatherings in some states of anything, no church, religious, all of those things are, are, are gone. No entertainment. I think I read an article this morning that said the box office had a 100% decrease year over year from what they did last year because no one's going to movie theaters and <clears throat> and people are basically forced to be in their homes. By the way, I do want to say my family would love you and your family because they love board games and playing games and they really get on to me because I'm not much of a game player. So, yeah. so, so it's like my my family's probably going to be going, man, can we go hang out with Joe and them and let, you know, dad go do his own <laughs> thing or Tim go do his own thing. So, well, we'll podcast together, and then we'll play games with your yeah, family. Yeah, or we can meet up with the RV. So, so I, I guess with someone that's got the, the background that you have, Joe, I would love for you to give some assessment and encouragement to what you see we are now. And I'll give you one more thing related to it. I, I did go out to the grocery store for one of the first times in the environment that we're in. And as I was walking around, I, I told my, my son and, and wife when we got back, I said, you know, it's almost like people are walking around in this state of PTSD. And my son, who's got a lot of wisdom, he's also the engineer and producer of the podcast. He said, Dad, I don't really think it's PTSD, post-traumatic. He goes, I think it's mid. He goes, we're like in the middle of this and people don't have control. They don't know where it's going. So just, I guess, encourage us or, or just assess where we are based on your experience, your counseling background and all of that. Yeah. I mean, I think your, your son is right on because PTSD is where you're being triggered by something that reminds you of the trauma. Like we are in the middle of being hypervigilant. So hypervigilant, meaning we're focused so much on you know, paying attention because we don't know what's going to happen. <clears throat> and so even the other day, uh, we, we have a daily walk that we do as a family and we came home and just as I finished, um, cooking, thank goodness, um, the power went out. And for my wife and I, that was like a breaking point. Like, uh, we, you know, call their parents who live in town to see if they had power and they did, but had they not, I think I would have lost my mind. <laughs> it was just like, what is happening to the world? And normally that wouldn't be such a trigger to lose your power, but to now know that all those groceries that are in the freezers and stuff. So we all are going through that. So I'm going to give some encouragement, but I'm also going to give just some assessment. So people tend to fall into two camps right now. Um, and I'm seeing this over and over with our consulting people, but even with the podcasts that I'm on or the people I'm interviewing, there's the um, kind of sky is falling chicken little that we're going to go into the deepest recession, that we're going to have a president that becomes a dictator. We're going to become like <clears throat> the worst version of human history in forever. Uh, there's that side of it where people are freaking out. And then the other extreme is this is a very opportune time to grow a business, to put more money in the market. It's going to bounce back. And maybe not from an opportunistic slimy way, but in a, like, I'm going to make the best of this situation. Now, both of those approaches, and it's good to kind of say, well, do I fall more on one side or the other? Am I kind of in the middle? They both have downsides. They both have upsides. So the sky is falling people. There are legitimate reasons that you should stay inside, stay away from people. If you like when my wife goes to the grocery store every two weeks, you know, she wears the mask. She has, you know, the, the gloves on. She sprays the bags. Anything that doesn't have to be refrigerated stays in the truck for two days. Um, she leaves her clothes in the garage and immediately showers. We are being very serious about this. But if I only stayed there, then I'm going to, you know, my business will fall apart. Uh, if I just totally say everything's going to whatever word you would use there. Um, and then, I'm missing out on what you know could happen, which would be the encouraging side. On the other side, uh, there's some great benefits there to be optimistic about you know, desperate times, times when people are in lockdown, times when people are going through tough things. People want strong leaders. People want um, people that will encourage them. They want to have voices of reason. My brother-in-law has been that for us. He's a doctor. And you know, two and a half weeks ago, before anyone in Michigan was taking anything seriously, his family went on lockdown and he encouraged our whole family to too. And we did. And I'm really glad that we did because we know that we haven't had exposure unless there's been, you know, something really random that happened in a grocery store. So there's opportunity there too, where if we just put our heads in the sand and say things are falling apart, you know, the stock market is on sale. I don't know if it'll bounce back, uh, but you know, I'm not going to change my, my stock market amount that I put in for retirement. I'm going to say to my audience, how can I overserve you? How can I help you during this time? And so I think that um, 
we, none of us know what's going to happen. And to just name that, that when my daughter says, how long will coronavirus last? I say, I don't know. I think you're not going back to school this year. Um, she gets really sad, but that's better for her to hear that I don't know something. And so when she feels like she doesn't know, it's not a lack of information. It's a lack of all of us having lack of information. And don't you think, don't and you, so think, whether it's, don't you yeah. think collectively that that unknown might be is what really throwing gas on the fire. We are, we are in, I don't know if we can call this a black swan event. I don't know, but, but my lifetime, your lifetime, you know, we go back world war two depression. None of us have experience with this culturally worldwide. Our leaders don't, I mean, I don't, you know, nothing political, but there's no one that could really respond well to what we're in. I guess they could do the best they can, but is the unknown a big part of this also? Yeah, I think the unknown, I mean, even back to when we lost power, as soon as I knew the power was coming back on in two hours, I was like, okay, I can chill out now. Uh, you know, and even when we watch TV shows or read books, that when there's the cliffhanger, we want to know, uh, and there's a natural tension there. Uh, so I think that is a big part of it. I do think that there's other countries that have responded differently than the United States. And so um, more positive in a lot of ways that we could learn from. Uh, I think that there is some some questions in regards to um, who is giving the most accurate information. Is it scientists? Is it the administration? Is it who like is it politically motivated? We all have our own ways that we view kind of the political climate right now. And so that lack of consistency, I think, is really um, a part of it as well. But one thing that whenever we approach something new, when I work with my consulting clients, I say, what skills do you already have that we can apply to this? Okay, so let's just think about this. Have you been in your house for a time period that's been annoying? Okay, yeah, I was sick once, you know, a year ago and I had to be here for a week. Or um, have you had to social distance in other ways? Um, what have you been wanting to do in your house? What are hobbies you want to do? I just signed up for um, masterclass.com and I'm going to be taking a class from Steve Martin on how to do stand-up comedy. It's something for years. I've seen a Facebook ad that I clicked on years ago that they keep sending to me. And finally, now's the time that, hey, who knows if I have a career in stand-up comedy, but it's just a fun thing to do. And so finding those things that you can fill your time with boundaries that you can set for yourself around news boundaries that you can set for yourself around how much you talk about it as a family. How do you gather information? Who do you trust and are your go-to people and how do you keep connecting with the people that you love? Those are all things that we've dealt with well before this situation. And so in a lot of ways, I think that this is revealing cracks that were already there and this is the ice that's expanding in the cracks. So if your marriage was shaky before, it's probably kind of tough right now as well. Uh, if you and your kids weren't communicating well, everyone's worried and you're probably not going to communicate as well. So now is the time to take those that action around those things if you want to improve things and happiness in your yeah, life. Yeah, so it, in many ways it's magnifying the good and it's magnifying the bad. And so that's that's really good. Thank you for sharing that, Joe. I, I appreciate that. I want to I shift a little bit and begin moving into your the work you do with private practices because I actually do know we've got listeners I actually had uh, one of our listeners and a friend of mine reach out recently that's a chiropractor private practice and he's you know they're shut down right now and and then so I'd, I'd love for you to give some input and and help to people that are in the private practice area and maybe talk about some things that you can do to help them and then, and then as we, as we wrap up, we're going to be talking about actual podcasting because I do know there are a lot of people right now, I've actually read that people say, I want to write a book. I want to start a podcast. I want to, this is the time to do that. 100%. Yeah, this is the time to do yeah. that. So first of all, though, let, let's talk about, tell people what you do for private practice, practice people. And, and then we may spin off a few questions there and then we're going to go to the podcasting. Awesome. So uh, for people that are in private practice, primarily, I would say a good 80 to 90% are therapists, counselors, psychologists. Uh, we are getting more chiropractors, massage therapists, life coaches, business coaches as well, because uh, a lot of it's applicable uh, outside of just that space. Uh, but we have products from free all the way up to really expensive. And the idea is that <clears throat> when you're first starting a practice, you do want to keep your costs really low. So we have a one-year practice plan that 
walks people through exactly what to do over the first year and they get a weekly email. So that's a $17 thing. Then we have a membership community that's $99 a month and we have live events, we have supportive things in there. They've accessed over 30 e-courses. <clears throat> really it's, if you get one client uh, that comes once a month uh, now online, um, but hopefully when we get back to uh, kind of after distancing AD, uh, then you know we'll be able to then uh, help people in a different way. And then we have mastermind groups, we have one-on-one -on -one consulting. And then at that point, a lot of people, when they have a group practice and things are clicking along, they realize I don't wanna do as much therapeutic work, but I still have a really big uh, idea of what I wanna to do to impact the world. So say they help people that have gone through post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, maybe they wanna launch an e-course and they're gonna do a podcast to kind of feed into that or a membership community to help parents. Um, we then now are helping people um, kind of launch those podcasts uh, after they have kind of built a successful practice. Yeah, because most of those people, all of those people that you listed out, primarily they're in that business, that industry, that service, because they want to help people. And what it sounds like you do is you give them a, a wider influence possibility. Is that true? Yeah. So Catherine Ely, she's one of our uh, done for you consulting clients. And so um, she had a thriving practice in Alabama, helped women specifically, they were in their forties, fifties and sixties to really just thrive during those decades. So she launched the Imperfect Thriving podcast and we helped her with that, helped her with her messaging um, to really say, what do women in their 40s, 50s and 60s deal with? So she has her Imperfect Thriving um, Blueprint to Thrive uh, email course and then you know has the podcast now. And so she had a message that she was mostly sharing one-on-one -on -one in counseling sessions that she realized this is something the rest of the world really needs to hear. And a podcast right now is the single best way to do that. And so helping her take what was happening in the session and not breaking any confidentiality, of course, but to say, here are things that women are dealing with that I want to talk about. Yeah, that's good. So I'm going to ask for a little free advice for our folks that might be in these type businesses. Sure. What are, when people come in to your, I guess your, your training, your area, what is some of the biggest mistakes you see them, them make? I mean, these people are trained. Many of them are licensed. Many of them have advanced degrees and, and they're smart people, but yet they may not be fulfilling their calling in some ways. Biggest mistakes you see. Yeah, I would say I'd break it down by when they're first starting and then when they're growing and scaling. <clears throat> so when they're first starting, really the biggest mistakes are usually kind of basic business mistakes, not putting time into SEO and meta descriptions on their website so that they're ranking in Google. Uh, right now in the middle of this coronavirus, um, not having it front and center that you do online counseling, having a very clear to act, very clear call to action around that. Uh, even having a contact us form in the upper right corner, schedule your intake, get started. Um, people naturally look to the upper right hand corner, have it be a different color. Uh, so those kind of basics, uh, blogging on a regular basis so that you can continually rank in Google and you know, doing blogs that you're not overthinking. And so if you help people with depression, you know, do one mega blog all about depression, then do another one about seasonal affective disorder, and then do another one about depression during coronavirus. Um, use what's happening right now to talk about what you're good at. And so, you know, we just did an article about how to talk to your kids about coronavirus. We know people are searching for that. We know that's not a huge business thing, but we also know that we have a lot to say around that. So then when you start to get some clients, you want to then move into um, starting to scale and grow. And I think people oftentimes think that they need to be full in order to add clinicians to their practice, even if they're an online practice. But the reality is, is that when you add people to your practice, that expands the net of influence that you have. So they're going to be connected to people different than you are. And so they're going to be promoting your business in a way that's different. So then you're going to start, start to actively take off hats. So instead of you answering the phones, having a virtual assistant answer the phones, instead of you writing every blog post, have some of the clinicians write the blog posts so that you're building income outside of your own time that you're putting into it. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get inside the heads of someone that might be listening. And you may have started to answer this right at the end of that, but I don't have time to blog, uh, deal with this SEO. I can't even spell SEO. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't have that skill set. I don't want to, I'm, I'm not good with the online stuff. I'm, I'm running through some of the tapes and excuses that, that people have. Again, I think you almost got to the response at the end of that answer, but, but respond to me 
when I'm sitting here thinking, I don't have time for any of that. Oddly enough, these people might be sitting at home right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, let, let's use some numbers. So say someone charges 125 per session. That's a pretty average counseling session. Say it takes them an hour to write a blog post. And we say, okay, we want you to write 20 blog posts. That's 20 hours. We'll even give you 22 hours in case something goes wrong. So we're, we're going to just multiply that 125. That, that's 2,700. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Math alert. Uh, we just need to put this out there. Math we alert. To do some math. <laughs> so, so that the lost time to write those 20 blog posts equals $2,750. So at your 125 per hour. So we're just saying, should you do this? Okay. So then I would want to ask them, how many times does your average client come to you? You know, for most clinicians, it's going to be, you know, five to seven to 10. So say it was on the lower end, it was five. So that means that the average person, if we're at 125, that, that's going to be the client value is $600. So if we take that $2,750, we're just going to divide that by 600. That means you need four and a half clients to start working with you because of 20 blog posts. So if you had 20 blog posts that you wrote to your ideal client that sit there forever and you just spent the next 22 hours doing that or even spread it out over a month, do you think you're going to get a handful of clients that are going to work with you? I would say yes. Now, if that said 15 clients to make it worth it, 50 clients, then it would be like, oh, I don't know if that's the best use of your time. But just kind of saying, what's my lost time here? And then how many clients do I need to get to make this worth it? Uh, being able to learn those skills is almost always one of the best uses of your time. Yeah, that's good. And hopefully that will help some people that might be going through that. And again, let's remind people, you're most likely sitting with a lot of extra free time now and binge watching Netflix yeah. is not going to accomplish some of the things you're talking about. Correct. I mean, I think we all need to have our things that, that we do in our downtime to just escape, uh, you know, especially when there's so much in our face, but yeah, I mean, if your business is struggling now is a great time to say, I'm going to put in a little extra time into my own learning. I mean, that's what I'm doing with masterclass. And you know, by, by learning these new skills, my daughter's, We'll watch something about space or whatever they want to learn for a couple minutes, you know, for half an hour. And then I'll learn next to them and then they'll do a project and I'll say, here's the project I'm working on. So learning with my kids then is demonstrating to them that ongoing learning is a really important thing. Yeah, that masterclass is a great program. Well done. I have gone through the Steve Martin class. That was really the the gateway that brought me into the masterclass environment. And uh, you'll enjoy that. I've gone through a lot of those and uh, our family loves some of the cooking and things like that. That's, that's a mm. great vehicle. All right. I, I want to, as we wrap up here, I want to talk about podcasting and all that, that you're doing in that world now. Uh, and I want to give a bit of a, a, a preface to it. I was helping a client that's in the real estate space and they decided they wanted to do a, do a podcast and they were doing it primarily to pitch some of the things that they were doing. And it was, it was really causing some struggles in just the nature of it. And, and someone on that said, Tim, you should do a podcast. You're really good at hosting. And, and I, I've just finished a novel. So I said, all right, let me start investigating that. And I have just dug it thoroughly enjoyed it. And obviously you have a background in podcasting. You're on, I don't know how many hundred episodes that you've done personally. And now you help other people do it. And people are listening to a podcast right now. So we, we should have an atmosphere of people that are interested in podcasting. So what I'd love for you to do first is just talk about in general, the the marketplace that is podcasting, and then and then kind of as we wrap up here in the next few minutes, I'm going to ask you to maybe give some tips and pointers, next steps for people that might have this in the back of their mind or even front of their mind. I would be interested in podcasting. So so just in general, let's talk about the 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 environment that is the podcast world. Yeah. So I want to start with some stats because I feel like stats <clears throat> allow us to take things inside of us that we think are true and challenge them. So yes, that's now true and the stats prove it or, Ooh, that's not exactly true. And so we know that 52% of the U S listens to at least one podcast a month. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want to say, where is the best use of your time? And so where is the largest audience 
with the smallest number of competitors for you to be able to, to go out there. So what I did is I took all these stats and made it into something that I can actually understand. So if we say, is it worth it for you to have a blog? And I know we just talked about blogging and that's a little different in the counseling world, but if you're just gonna start a blog about something, well, there's over 660 million blogs, not blog posts, blogs out there. That means for every person, there are two blogs that are out there. So that would be the equivalent in regards to return on investment to a six foot tall person. Now, if we then say, well, what about YouTube? YouTube, is that worth it? Well, there's over 25 million and depending if what stats you look at, 25 to 50 million channels on YouTube. So that's the statistical equivalent of King Kong, 106 feet tall. Okay, so now we just see a little difference there. So YouTube's a better use of your time. So now what about having a fairly inactive blog, meaning you've posted one episode in the last 90 days. So we know there's about 700,000 podcasts uh, that have, I'm, I'm sorry, I think I said blog, 700,000 podcasts that have posted a podcast in the last 90 days. So statistically based on ROI, that's gonna be seven Titanics stacked on top of each other, which is 7,000 feet tall. Pretty big difference for an inactive podcast. So now what about an active podcast? One that's posting at least one episode a month. So we're not even going into weekly or twice a week podcast. We're going just once a month. That's the statistical equivalent of Mount Everest. So when we say ROI, do we wanna have Mount Everest or a six foot tall person? And so I want people to put their time into the thing where there's the largest audience and the smallest competitors. And right now that's podcasting. Yeah, so, and, and, and many people are beginning to consume. I, I think in the time we're in right now, people's habits are changing, so they may not be commuting, and and we're seeing some things that might be impacting some numbers. But it is just a great way to get information out. All right, so couple of couple of things I like to get in people's heads and 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 try to answer the questions. I don't know that I have anything to say. I'm not saying that, obviously, but some people might be saying, I don't know that I have anything to say, and I don't know that I could do all the technical stuff, all right? So two things coming at you, address those two items. Yeah, I mean, I would. what we teach our people is first and foremost, start with the pain and the people before you pitch the product. And so deciding, is this a podcast that is gonna be a hobby? Is it just, I wanna just talk into thin air? Am I just gonna ramble on? Or is this actually gonna be a business venture? So if you wanna start a podcast where you talk to your friends once a week while you're having a beer about board games, awesome. And if you don't care if anybody listens, then don't worry about all these other things. Don't invest a bunch of money into it. Just get the microphones and put it out there. Now, if you actually want this to be a business where you say, yeah, I wanna take this opportunity of podcasting and enhance my business. So take your real estate friend, uh, it sounds like that person didn't think about the pain in the people. And so if, if a real estate person <clears throat> who usually needs something local, they need local clients, they're not doing real estate across the nation, you want a podcast that's highly localized. So interviewing local businesses on the business environment, maybe interviewing people on aesthetics locally, interviewing you know, a local handyman who says, you know, hey, when you first buy your house, you know, here's the things that every winter you need to do to check your furnace and, you know, make sure your deck, you put your cushions away and, you know, those things that are really valuable. So like, what's the pain that a homeowner goes through when they get a new house and don't know how to run a house? Well, when we first got a house, I didn't know I had to unscrew my hose from the side of the house. It froze over and then a pipe burst in my basement. If I had a podcast where I had listened to it about here's the checklist for the fall, that would have been helpful. And then that sets, if that person then falls in love with the pain of new home buyers, yes, I might buy real estate from that person, but also I might buy a course from them. I might buy a membership community. I might buy all sorts of other things that now become multiple streams of income. When all these poor real estate people, you know, it's in the tank right now because nobody's buying houses. Well, if they had multiple streams of income of what to do in your house when you're in lockdown, <clears throat> well, that would be a new stream of income. So you fall in love with the pain and the people before you pitch the product. Right. And, and, you know, one of the things that I felt like I was supposed to do when I started was just, just share because I can, the way I'm made up, I can get in pitch mode and I listen to a podcast and I can tell when somebody's pitching me really early on, you know, it's the balance between, you know, having commercials on podcast and getting sponsors and, and, and those items. So I, I just was 
felt like I was just supposed to share. And that's what we've done. And one of the first things we did was shared kind of all the challenges we went through in the downturn of 08, which could be timely now. All right. So someone's sitting here, Joe, and they're going, I, I think I might be interested in doing a podcast. And you've already mentioned, you know, the mindset, maybe the, you know, the pain points that they need to address. But, but give a few tips, and then we only have a few minutes here. I'm going to maybe ask you to give maybe some resources that people can go and gather more. But let's just say someone's thinking about it. They're leaning that direction. Help us get started. Yeah, so with Podcast Launch School, we have really started way before most trainings start. Most trainings will start with buy this microphone, yeah. get this technology versus, you know, what are you actually trying to achieve through this? And so the idea of sorting through what's the pain in the people that you want to work with, and then what's the transformation? So the pain, the people, and then the transformation. So by the end of this podcast, I want new homeowners to be able to understand how to run their home. So what's that transformation? So we actually encourage people to write a nine part email course for their audience before they even record their first episode. And so the quick kind of formula we've found that's really worked is the first three emails are around why society has set you up for failure. So if we stick with the analogy of your real estate friend, the first three emails might be, you know, why don't you know anything about houses? Well, when were you taught? Like, why would you be taught? So kind of saying society set you up to not know what to do, but we're not going to stay there. The next three emails are quick wins. So what are some things that your audience can do this week to feel like they're trusting you just a little bit more? So here's your fall and spring uh, quick checklist for your house. Um, you know, here's, go look at your siding. Here's what I want you to look at on your siding. You know, is it warped at all like this or does it look more like this? Um, so kind of having those quick wins that someone can do in 10 to 15 minutes and get a huge ROI on that time. And then the last three emails we suggest are, what are three long-term habits that your audience has to develop in order to really be successful? So now you've taken them from deconstructing society and from a macro level to very small, low-risk, quick wins where they're building some trust with you to now saying, I want to build a long-term habit. And this is a totally free email course. And once you build that out, then create the opt-in, a handbook, a workbook that goes with it. That's more than just a quick checklist. So now you actually have kind of the brains of what your podcast is going to be about. So when you record your first couple episodes, you fully understand that pain. You fully understand the transformation. And you're not just kind of having that microphone and talking into thin air. Yeah, just and, and one of the things I've seen from talking to people is they flip on the mic, they start talking, and then they get two or three episodes in, and then they go, now what do I talk about? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of basics like, you know, learning how to tell good stories. You know, there's lots of videos out there. There's a book called The Storyteller's Secret that's amazing. Uh, Carmen Gallo's other book, Talk Like Ted, uh, are all great kind of storytelling type of, of things if you're you know, trying to make a point. Uh, I think also learning how to be a good interviewer. And so being prepared, you know, Tim, like you're prepared, being able to pause a person when they're talking and say, let me have you go a little deeper in there. And then also being able to kind of fast forward. Okay, let's jump ahead a year or two. But what happened because of this thing? So you as the interviewer are pacing and saying, okay, here's this person, Joe Sanok. I need to come at some questions from a lot of different angles, not just for myself, but to even, and you demonstrated a lot of these techniques in the interview today to say, okay, I want to ask a question that I think my audience might be thinking right now. So you're not just saying your own voice, you're now saying other voices and, and being able to say, okay, this is probably the pushback people feel, or this is the next question they would want because your responsibility as a podcaster isn't to me, the guest. Your goal shouldn't be to just make me feel comfortable, although you have made me feel very comfortable, Tim. Um, but it's to your audience that, yeah. that they get the best possible content out of Joe Sanok, and you're that person that's pulling that out. Uh, and so being a good interviewer, it takes a little bit of skill set building, but you know, once you get it and once you have some good training around it, it's so much fun. Sure. How about interview format versus we'll say person on mic or monologue. I've done, I've done both. I really enjoy interviewing, uh, but there were some things that I wanted to just teach and train on. So what are your thoughts on those compare? And I don't know that there's one better than the other, but, but why would someone use one over the other? 
Yeah, well, we found for business podcasts, if you're really looking at the psychology of it, so you have a business podcast that you want to actually make money off of, is um, what we call the three-type formula. And so the first five to seven episodes really should be solo shows. And these you want to think about as being kind of the pillars of your podcast. Because if someone listens to episode 50 and they love it, they're probably going to go back to episodes one through seven. And so you really want those to be, here's the things I think I can stand on for the rest of the podcast. After that, uh, then you're going to move into interviewing experts that you kind of have no business interviewing. And so, you know, the Bomb Mom podcast, which is it'll be launched by the time that that you uh, release this. Uh, Melissa, she's teaching women to really kind of take back who they are, um, both in fitness and eating. So she just landed someone from The Biggest Loser. And so um, that's awesome for a new podcast to be able to get that level of person. So you want to look for those experts to then quickly align yourself with in the next five to seven episodes. Then we recommend that the next five to seven be live coaching shows. And so having people from your audience where you demonstrate your coaching live. So what's one question they have? And in 15 minutes, you kind of dissect it. You give them advice. What this three-part formula does is different than what most other kind of podcast trainers teach. First five shows that you have something to say and you're not just trying to say something. The next five with the interviews is showing that you're aligned with experts, which is really important. And then the next five shows that, yes, you know all this stuff, you're so smart, that's great, but can you talk to people? Like, are you approachable? Can you actually help people? Because a lot of people will say, okay, you're up there with these experts and you're so far away, but then you need to have that pulled back where it's, you know, I can talk to the average person and really help them get some great outcomes. So we've seen that three-part formula work over and over for people when they launch a podcast. Yeah, that that's good. I'm, I'm thinking back, this is what I'm doing. I'm thinking back to how we started and I'm sure you would have helped me do it differently. Too bad we didn't meet then. But I did the first few seasons that was just me on mic, and it was sharing our story and talking about living the nomad life because we live in an RV and everyone asked questions about it. I really was just wanting to answer people's questions. Say, hey, you want to know about how we live? Go to this season. And then one on leadership. And then I got to the thing that I enjoy, which is this, which is just communicating with people, flipping the mic on and letting people listen in. So. Thank you for all of that, Joe. I think we can continue communicating about this, but what I would like for you to do now is tell people, and we're going to put it in the notes also, how they can connect with you, how they can get more information. Just go ahead and verbally do it, and we'll make every effort to include the links. And then I do have a couple questions just as we wrap before we get off the line. Yeah. So I would say the best next steps for anyone around podcasting is to head over to podcastlaunchschool.com. Uh, we have a free course we've put together there for you. Uh, and so it's going to help you decide, should you start a podcast? If so, what are some of the basic kind of first steps for you? And Podcast Launch School, the course, uh, the whole e-course is going to be launching in early May um, to 2020 to the public. And so uh, if you want to kind of get that guidance, get all the PDFs, the exact process that we follow, uh, it's going to save you so much time. So either way, sign up over at podcastlaunchschool.com. Yeah, that's good. So by the time this airs, this podcast, that should be should be available. Well, a couple questions I like to wrap up with, Joe, and you and I could tell we could have long form communication and we could keep going. So so we may circle back and have another conversation in this in the not too distant future. But I always just like to ask people and you just mentioned the launch, uh, the podcast launch school, but I always like to ask people, what's next? What are you excited about right now? And it could be as as, you know, what you're having for lunch or, you know, the next 30 year plan that you've got. What's next for Joe? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, one thing I often teach our consulting clients is, you know, have your goals that are just kind of locking things down to, you know, tightening the nuts and bolts, uh, but have a goal and some call it stretch goals, you know, a you know, goal that's going to really push you. Uh, so I always every year do that. And so a year ago, uh, I had set a goal of wanting to have a New York Times bestseller. And so I found a, a agent last year faster than I expected, worked with a book coach from last June until a month ago submitted that proposal and there's um, two way highly regarded publishers that I did not expect to have my attention um, that I'm supposed to know by next week uh, if we got a book deal. Uh, and so pretty excited about that. Um, I'm not allowed to disclose anything other than that. But once I do, uh, I'll come back on the show and talk about that for sure. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. That's that's interesting to me because one of the things I've been compelled to do is write more. I've just finished my first novel and I'm on a pace to write a novel a year for the next, I'll just go ahead and say it, 30 years. And, and so that's exciting to hear. So thank you for sharing that. Joe, the title of this podcast is Seek, Go, Create. 
and there's three words that we just mash together and they have a lot of meaning. But which one of those words jumps out as you as we wrap up and why? Seek, go, create. Mm. Yeah, they each would have kind of different meaning for me, but I think that the idea of creation, um, you know, I know that you're a, a man of faith and just the idea of, you know, at our core, we're creators that, you know, we're not called to be in this world and just enjoy it, but we're here to develop it, mold it, shape it, turn it into something different than it would have been had we not been here. And just thinking about if every person tried to be, say, 10% more creative, 10% more interesting and you know just bring something into the world that we hadn't seen like what would we see in our world that's different and more peaceful and more loving and more interesting uh and so for me i think that the seek and go by itself it needs that create at the end of it and so i would say create excellent thank you and i totally agree with you on that well joe thank you so much for joining us on the podcast i really appreciate the time you've shared with us For those of you listening, if you have enjoyed this, I know that you have. If you're listening to the end here, there's so much depth to all that Joe spoke about in so many areas. I would just ask that you share this. Share this on your social media. Share this. Text it out to friends. I know that the way I discover podcasts is typically when I meet someone or they share it with me. So I just ask that you do that. And we look forward to speaking to you again and sharing with you again on the Seek Go Create podcast.